Gerald. What you say now, Pete? I got a question. Shoot it. No, sir, it's kind of weird. Man, just ask the question. Do you think the Molten Man spray paints his drawings? Wait, what? Welcome back and welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Me and My Friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production. The podcast where we explore all things THE Amazing Spider-Man comic book series. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If it isn't, welcome three times and back once. This week, we're running through THE Amazing Spider-Man, number 35, The Molten Man Regrets. This podcast is completely listener-supported, so if you haven't, please consider becoming a patron over at patreon.com slash hspp in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers. Patrons get a bonus episode every time we release one here. This week's bonus episode sees the Inhumans declaring war on the United States with one of the most blatant acts of terrorism the Marvel Universe has ever seen. That's later. Right now... The man called Raxton, done biding his time, has begun his supervillain career in earnest. And you should already know there's only one man standing in his way. We've got right hooks galore. We've got more sound effects than a dipset track with Jim Jones doing ad-libs. And the golden god! I am untethered and my rage knows no bounds! Versus the golden liability in a rematch worth its weight in... You can say it, gold. And we've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the amazing Spider-Man number 35, the Molten Man regrets. Let's swing. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. The credits. We've got script and editing by Smiling Stan Lee with plot and artwork by Swingin' Steve Ditko and lettering and loitering by art, it's in the name Simek. The cover. The cover of this issue has the amazing Spider-Man in Spidey New Roman in the animated series Goldenrod and Red. Going forward, I'm going to say two colors. The first will be the main color the logo is. The second, the color under Spidey's name. Till this one, the words are in goldenrod yellow, while the shadow beneath the word Spider-Man is in red. This is on a black negative space that really makes the words pop. Beneath this, in a room that looks like it's inside of an office building with lime green walls and emerald green doors, is the Molten Man. His skin, supervillain underwear, and belt all a dazzling gold. And he's in the middle of a giant black and white sign of the spider. Molten Man's rushing forward with both arms out at his sides towards our hero, the amazing Spider-Man, who is falling onto the scene from above. His left fist clenched, his back towards the ceiling, his legs bent forward at the hips, his left foot bent at the knee. I'm thinking forces are fling to collide and we've got front row seats. Beneath this, inside a Yankee blue banner and goldenrod letters, we get the Molten Man regrets. Let's get into it. Page one opens to the amazing and black stylized sketchy writing and Spider-Man in that same writing, shade white. This is on a green negative space. Beneath this, in a goldenrod scream caption box, we get The Molten Man Regrets. 
the and regrets are written in red. Molten Man is, of course, written in a melting gold font. I love the way Molten Man's name is written in these early comic books. It always just looks like wet gold about to drip. It's very cool. And beneath this, we're in an apartment building with a green wall with cracked plaster stage right next to an entranceway, an old school New York accordion radiator stage left, and the wall above this is cracked as well. In the center of the room, on the wooden floor, there's a royal purple throw rug in the shape of a circle. And on this rug, we got action! Spidey's feet overhead, upside down, off the floor, his signature web wings stretched beneath his arms. Beneath him, we've got the Molten Man, and if both men haven't punched the clock. With his left hand, Spidey's grabbing the Molten Man's left ankle, and there's a great attention to detail here. We can see the little nozzle where Spidey's webbing shoots out from on his left wrist. Ditko working, but he won't stop there. In Spidey's right hand, Spidey is holding two thick ropes. These ropes end in a slip knot each, and each Honda is wrapping a wrist of the Molten Man beneath him. For the Molten Man's part, he's not going to be taken down easily. The rope may have wrapped his wrist, but he's gripping both of them with both his arms out in front of him, and I'm sure he's lifted Spidey off the ground with the way he's barreling towards stage right. And speaking of stage right, above Molten Man, near Spidey's lower torso, we get a Goldenrod caption box. It's change of pace time once again, so climb aboard for the action. And in an orange circle caption box beneath the Molten Man's bent left leg, this one is for the real old-fashioned dyed-in-the-wool Spidey fanatics who like to see old Webhead fighting as only he can. We envy you. You're gonna have yourself a ball. I'm down for a good ball, got the dress shoes for it and everything. We turn the page. Page two opens, as it often does, with a caption box. Our somewhat sensational saga begins where so many of them end. In a cold, somber prison cell, some months ago, where we find... And we find the Molten Man in a prison cell, in a chocolate brown suit and white button-up t-shirt. He's not in his Molten Man costume, so we're gonna call him by his government. Raxton! He's got his left leg up in a Captain Morgan pose on a green stool as a blue-clad prison guard pulls the door to the cell open. Okay, Raxton, look alive. His honor wants to see you, so let's go. Raxton replies that the judge is finally going to sentence him, and he knows the rules of the 616 penal system. You can go on a complete rampage, destroy public and private property, and you'll get off easy if you're a first offender, because this judge is soft on strike oneers. And it seems that the Molten Man has been told right. Raxton's in the courtroom next as a white-haired judge in glasses shows that understanding. Because you became what you are through an unforeseen accident, and... You have offered to pay for the damages you've caused. I'm giving you a suspended sentence, Raxton. <laughs> Raxton says thanks that the judge won't be sorry. Lion! Minutes later, one of the strangest foes Spider-Man has ever fought loses himself amongst the city's teeming millions once again. Raxton, hand in pocket, green fedora on head, smirk on face, is walking down the steps of the courthouse thinking he's free at last. Raxton goes on to think... Lucky I was a model prisoner and acting repentant. Now it's up to me to make sure I stay free. No more jails for the Molten Man. Translation? You tell him, feds, I said I'm never going back. Shout out to Ho. Later, in the privacy of his own apartment, Raxton peels off his outer clothes again to revel in his awesome power. And we see the Molten Man has had some custom-made golden underwear and boots designed because he's wearing them now standing in a blue-walled room of his apartment, and the man is working. He shouts, Ha! 
I'm as strong as ever, maybe even stronger. As he bends a steel beam he's gotten from who knows where into a U-shape. And this isn't the first. He's already twisted two large steel beams into knots and has tossed them onto the floor at his feet like so much trash. But he's just getting started. In the next panel, shouting Spider-Man only beat him the first time because he didn't know how to control his newfound power. Sure, tell us anything. Molten Man is crushing a brick wall inside his own apartment. I think it's safe to say he's not getting his security deposit back. The camera pulls in tight on his face in the final panel as Multi goes on to say that he's not going to make the same mistake if he runs into Spider-Man a second time, that he's figured out all the angles. And first, he's going to lay low, then he's going to strike. So this happened months ago while Spidey's been battling Zandu and the Scorpion and the Cat and the Octopus and the Hunter. While Spidey's been duking it out with all these villains, I imagine Molten Man's been in a Rocky from Philadelphia training montage, biding his time the whole time. And there are just so many things on this page that I want to comment on. This guy said he's figured out all the angles, but he's destroying his apartment to test his strength. Dude, if you got money to buy your own golden underwear with a golden belt, with golden boots that perfectly match your golden skin tone, I'm sure if you are planning to come at Spidey months later, you could have gotten a gym membership and not been destroying your house. This dude does not get it at all. I'm gonna go ahead and say, I don't think Raxon's the brightest bulb in the bunch. But that's just my take. Thus, through the magic of our imagination, we now bridge the gap of time. Many days later, an exclusive Madison Avenue jewelry shop receives a distinguished looking patron. And if this patron isn't ballin', green suit, maroon bowler hat on head, white gloved hands, left hand on his waist, right hand gripping a cane, He's speaking to the shopkeep who's holding up a small display of jewelry. No, no. Those gems are all too ordinary. Too pedestrian. Have you nothing more exotic? More expensive? And the shopkeep, trying to get that commission, says absolutely, and he'd be delighted to show the man the goods. In the next panel, we get a good look at this distinguished-looking patron. He's got white hair, a gaunt face, and black goatee. Almost the spitting image of golden age superstar actor Mike Nussbaum. The shopkeep is a young man with sandy brown hair, olive green suit, chocolate tie. The patron says for the shopkeep to remember that money's no object, that he'll only consider the finest jewels. He wants what's in the back. And the shopkeep, smiling over his shoulder, goes straight to the safe, dollar signs in his eyes, I'm sure. He says he'll have the jewels for the man as soon as he opens the safe. But when he does, the noose bomb lookalike makes his move. He hops over the counter and shouting that he doesn't need to see them, that he'll take them all. He pushes the shopkeep to one side, grabbing the tray of jewelry from the man who screams. But I don't understand. Wait, you can't. Uh. The shopkeep is not soft. He pushes up from the floor in the gutter between panels and pulls a snub-nosed revolver from who knows where, screaming. So, you're nothing but a crook. Well, you may have fooled me at first, but you won't get away with it. Moosebaum says for the man to make his move if he thinks it'll stop him. And the shopkeep does. He says, look, man, I'm warning you. Stay back. But Moosebaum advances, and the shopkeep knows the first rule of pulling a gun. You pull that thing, you gotta pull that thing. And he does. Shouting that Moosebaum should have listened, he fires. The bullet hits Moosebaum square in the chest, but the man keeps coming, leaving the shopkeep 
wholly confused. He says the man must be wearing a bulletproof vest. Newsbaum crosses the room saying, So you think it's a vest, do you? Before grabbing the revolver in the final panel with his right hand and crushing it easily, asking if a vest can do this. The shopkeep shouts, You, you crushed the gun like an eggshell. And he has. But as a sagacious fate would have it, our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is blithely romping across the rooftops directly above at that very moment, which is as lucky for us as for the merchant below, else we'd have a superhero yarn sans superhero. And Four opens to a beautiful panel of Spidey gripping a web line in each hand above the city between two tall buildings. He's heard the gunshot and his superhero instincts kick in right away. Thinking this is a heck of a place for skeet shooting, he races towards the sound of gunfire and is running into the jewelry store in the next panel in seconds. He shouts at the newsbomb lookalike to freeze until he, Spidey, can figure out what's going on here. Newsbomb, throwing both hands up, shouts, Don't hit me! I'm no match for you! I give up! I give up! Spidey says that's a good deal, that that saves them both a lot of trouble. The jewelry store clerk, still pissed, shouts that the man tried to rob him. Spidey says he guessed as much before Newsbomb sucker punches him with a left in the final panel screaming. Ha! But you didn't guess that I merely wanted you to relax your guard, and you did. Now it's my turn! Spidey, his jaw facing north, the very last position you want to be in in a jewelry store, shouts, Ugh! And we got action. On five, the would-be jewel thief hits Spidey with a right hand, lifting our hero off his feet, still smack-talking as he thinks to himself that he can't let up and has to keep the webhead off balance. Before throwing a downward left, that buckles Spidey, sending our hero's head and body towards the floor. But Spidey's got grit. He almost falls, but doesn't, managing to keep his face from the canvas by the tips of the fingers of his left hand. And the jewelry store clerk's seen enough. Whatever stories he's heard about Spider-Man have to be grossly overrated in his eyes because right now, the King of Swing is being brutalized. Realizing Spidey doesn't have what it takes to get it done, the jeweler starts screaming for help. Newsbomb, knowing he's got to get out of Dodge before the cops show up, grabs the shouting shopkeep and hurls him into the recovering Spider-Man, who shouts at the jeweler to get out of his way. Then, by the time Spidey can reach the door, your finger! He's gone! Outside now, Spidey leaps huh. onto the sheer wall of a nearby building, shouting that the thief is too strong and dangerous to be left to run free, that if he can get up to the roof fast enough, he'll be able to see the jewel thief from up there. But, as usual, Spidey's luck runs true to form. All bad. And the big spender noose bomb lookalike is on a back block moving. Sprinting forward, looking over his shoulder, he's thinking that he lost a webhead and now he has to make sure our hero doesn't pick up the trail again. Minutes later, the big spender reaches his decrepit digs. He gets inside his apartment and slamming the door shut, throws his bowler hat onto a nearby table before pulling the mask off his face. This thing was lifelike and was fooling a man from two feet away, so it definitely must have come from the chameleon. And I'm starting to think chameleon has a flat rate or pro rates for these masks. These things are top of the line and every villain wants in on it. But I digress, back to the man shouts, There, once I destroyed his disguise, there'll be nothing to link the molten man with that escaped gym thief. 
So obviously it's the Molten Man, and he did all of this. He beat Spidey up in the jewelry store, he got shot in the chest, he pretended to be a man of wealth and means, and he did all of that, and he left without the loot. Raxton takes his white gloves off in the gutter between panels, lights a cigarette in the next, and says if Spidey ever fouls him up again, he's going to finish the webhead off for good. Same old song. While in a different neighborhood, we find our fabulous frustrated friend. Spidey's high above the city, still looking for the big spender, but having no luck, he abandons the hunt. <laughs> then, returning to his normal identity of Peter Parker, the youth reads a front page account of what has just transpired. Pete and SJB's in a horizontally striped goldenrod vest is clutching a newspaper in his hands on Front Street as people walk back and forth chasing their New York fortunes. According to the jewelry store clerk's sworn statement, that would be Robert Crush the revolver in his bare hand. And I believe it. The way he whopped me, he's more than an ordinary everyday crook. Spidey was multi-whopped. Tossing the paper into a trash can in the next panel, Pete thinks there was something familiar about the big spender, disturbingly so, but the goldenrod kid can't put his finger on it. He can't let it go either. Sitting at his home chemistry set next, fiddling a magnet in his hands, Pete thinks that the man could have easily been wearing a disguise, so it's possible that the big spender was a former enemy. He thinks the man packs a punch like iron before he has a whole eureka moment. Tossing the magnet onto the desk, he shouts, Iron! Iron's a metal! And this punch felt like metal. It's a long shot, but it could be the Molten Man. I bet on it. Within seconds, the amazing web-slinging adventurer is back on the prowl again as he heads for a seedy rooming house near the waterfront. Web-swinging at over 100 miles per hour, Spidey's made it outside of the Molten Man's New York apartment, and I like to imagine Molten Man lives in the Lower East Side. Caption box said the waterfront, so I'm thinking East River, because it's always the East River. So here we are. Either way, Spidey's hanging outside of the window to open page 7, checking if the Molten Man's home. Nothing's changed much. No reason to think he moved anywhere else. He probably still lives here. The place is empty now, but that doesn't mean anything. Spidey takes a comfortable seat on the rooftop ledge across from Raxton's apartment, thinking it won't hurt to wait. Then... Before too very long. A light clicks on and Spidey web springs across the street onto the sheer wall outside of Raxton's apartment and peers inside. Watching Raxton pull his green suit jacket off, Spidey thinks he was right about Raxton living here, but he doesn't have any proof that the man has broken the law. A half hour later, Spidey thinking the golden man has gone to bed, lifts the window open and crawls into the apartment. Pulling out a handy dandy spider tracer, he pins the tracking device on the lapel of Raxton's jacket and thinking now it'll be easy to keep tabs on the man, gets out of the apartment. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, the Infinity page. Infinity page. page 8. Just in time to witness Pete and his lab conducting experiments in the background when the tracker for his Spidey signal goes off in the foreground. Thinking Raxon's on the move, Pete does the same. Perched on a sheer wall in the next panel, he watches Raxton in a brown fedora, same green suit, walking down the street, but the man is on his best behavior, making Spidey think that the man is as menacing as a Tootsie Roll. Fun fact, Tootsie Pops are my favorite candy, and I wouldn't be surprised if Spidey's favorite were Tootsie Rolls. They're delicious, but he's right. They're not exactly menacing at all. Back to... And so it goes, day after day, until... 
Pete's in his bedroom in a t-shirt reading a thick brown book as he's wont to do when the spider tracer signal goes off again. He thinks it could be a waste of time, but that's not a chance he can afford to take. So of course, he's what's swinging above the city, suited and booted in no time, thinking. If this is another false lead, I'll have to forget the whole thing. I can't keep neglecting my studies this way much longer. Landing above Raxon, who as usual is walking through an alleyway, Spidey wonders if other superheroes worry about passing their exams as much as they do about fighting crime. And maybe the Human Torch does around this time, but that's probably it. Spidey really is a young dude doing this thing, and everybody else really is like a superhero first, everything else second in this universe at this moment. Either way, Spidey's wondering why Raxon's walking through a lonely back alley before watching the man enter a wooden door at the end of the alley. Spidey, knowing patience and virtue, thinks, what goes in has to come out, and I'm waiting here until he does. I have a hunch I'll be getting some answers pretty soon. Then, finally. And he's right, because Raxton's just emerged from the door in a newsy cap, same green suit, and a new mask pulled over his face. And I just want to point out, Raxton is a solid gold man. He's got flesh-toned gloves at this point. I wonder if these things... This guy is running around with all types of flesh-toned masks, gloves. I wonder if he has, like, a full bodysuit that he wears. Who knows? I have no answers. I've got no answers. On 9, we see Raxton is now wearing a mask that resembles legendary Golden Age actor Humphrey Bogart. So I know Raxton is a fan of the silver screen. Spidey, still watching the oblivious Raxton, thinks the man has to be up to something crooked or he wouldn't need a disguise. That now, he's not letting the man out of his sight. Raxton cuts through another alley, Spidey's still tailing him, and we find out the man's trying to hit the same jewelry store he hit last time. So just in case anyone was wondering if the Molten Man is an intellectual villain, I hope you're seeing now that he simply isn't. Hell, his deep dive into villainy came because he tried to steal the liquid metal alloy that turned him into the Molten Man and sell it, despite warnings that the concoction was not ready yet, and he was set to make millions once it was. That was The Menace of the Molten Man, or Do You Know the Molten Man? Here on Me and My Friend Pete. So clearly not the brightest bulb in the bunch. Back to... Molten Man destroys the alarm on the outside of the building with ease and breaks the lock on the back door with the same effortlessness, shouting that there hasn't been a lock created that can stop him. While a short distance away. Scoop Spidey, his belt camera up to his eye, is photographing the whole B&E moment. That's breaking an entering. Wondering what the Molten Man would say if he knew he was being photographed. Meanwhile, Raxon has entered the building and walking towards the safe is gloating the whole time. So far, so good. Now all I've got to do is get that safe open, and the job is done. And for me, that won't be as hard as it sounds. Placing his hand on the outside of the combination dial, he continues. Being metallic itself, my skin is sensitive to the sound of the other metal within the lock tumblers. It'll take only a few more seconds to detect the proper combination. Ah, I'm getting it now. On 10, Spidey shines his signal onto the wall safe from off panel, shouting, You sure are. Of course, Raxon spins around screaming the Spider-Man, who replies, Shucks, I hoped you'd think I was Yogi Berra. Lawrence Peter Berra, much better known as Yogi Berra, was an American baseball player, manager, and coach, best known for his days as catcher for the greatest team in sports history, the New York Yankees. Arguably the greatest catcher of all time, Berra, in 19 seasons in the majors as a catcher, was selected to 18 All-Star games, won a still record 10 World Series championships as a player 
won three American League Most Valuable Player awards, one of only six players in the history of baseball to do so, and received MVP votes in 15 consecutive seasons, tied with Barry Bonds and second to only Hank Aaron's 19. He caught Don Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series and holds the record for shutouts caught with 173 in World Series play. He holds the record for games played, at-bats, hits, singles, doubles, games caught, and putouts, along with the first ever World Series pinch hit home run. As a coach, he won three more championships, one with the New York Mets, two with the Yankees, and was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1972, the same year his number eight was retired by the New York Yankees. I never got to see Yogi play one game, but loved him as a fan of the English language for what came to be known as Yogiisms. Some examples of these Yogiisms? It ain't over till it's over. It's deja vu all over again. The quote used by President Barack Obama when posthumously awarding Barrow the Medal of Freedom, if you can't imitate him, don't copy him. 90% of the game is half mental. And my personal favorite, that is on the fence of the baseball field, currently sitting across the street from Yankee Stadium, on the side of the previous Yankee Stadium. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes it rains. And I have no proof, but can't be deconvinced that Yogi Bear was inspired by the Yankee great. Back to. So Spidey was hoping Raxon would think he was Yogi Berra, but he's not gonna let that stop him from quipping. That's a mighty shabby suit you're wearing, mister. It might look better if I cover it up with some wash and wear webbing. Called Raxton shabby before letting loose with both shooters, wrapping the disguised man in sheer webbing. Raxton shouts, you won't get me with that blasted stickum this time, and rips off his tearaway suit easily, revealing his golden skin, a pair of golden boots, golden underwear, and belt to match. And I am sure Spidey is like, where is this guy getting these outfits? Who designed these criminals' outfits? But then again, he designed his own. So now I imagine Raxton at home just spray painting a pair of underwear and boots gold. That's what I imagine now. Just sitting there naked. <laughs> just sitting there naked. Spraying gold onto a pair of underwears, a golden belt, and some golden boots. Why not? Back to. So that suit may have been shabby, but damn if the man isn't glistening right now. He races towards Spidey. Somebody find that clapperboard. Eleven opens to Molten Man rushing towards Spidey, screaming that the hero's web shooters are useless as Spidey lets loose with both barrels. Spidey says it's too bad the webbing doesn't work because it'd be great to shut the man's slippery molten mouth for him. And now we promised Artie Samek we'd let him go wild with sound effects for a page or two. So here goes. And we got action. For the next eight panels, we get gorgeous artwork of the two superpowered foes going toe-to-toe, -to -toe, blow for blow like woe, as sound effects abound. Molten Man cracks Spidey on the right collarbone with a left cross, as Spidey, eating the punch, throws an uppercut with his right that connects with the Molten Man's chin with a loud thwop. Multi eats the blow, swings a left that jerks Spidey's jaw left beneath a patwee. A right cross from Spidey leans Molten Man's stage right beneath a loud brack. And our hero presses the attack with an overhand right to Molten Man's collarbone. Kapow! But Molten Man can give as good as he gets. He sets his feet, and before Spidey can land another punch, backs Spidey up with a punch to the neck. Walk! Then follows it up on 12 with a haymaker that damn near makes him lose his balance. 
Splat! This punch, this one right here is great because Molten Man is really falling backwards like he's gonna lose his footing. A downward right from Spidey sends the villain flying backwards into the shelving in the next panel. Kabop! Followed by a left uppercut when Molten Man advances in the next panel that I'm sure Spidey started from the basement because there is, for the first time, a genuine look of pain on the Molten Man's face. Rack! But Molten Man's got the grit so he muscles through the punch and grabs Spidey in a bear hug, pinning our hero's hands to his sides. Ha! I proved I could take the best you can dish out. And now, from here on in, I'm gonna be calling the tune. Here? Translation? Golden Gobstopper. What? Translation? First, using the metallic power of my molten body, I'll crush all the fight out of you with an unbreakable bear hug. But Spidey isn't worried at all. He says there's no way Molten Man can beat him that way before shooting web lines to the ceiling from both wrists. Molten Man wonders aloud what good this is going to do, and Spidey, grabbing the thin strands he's created, says he was hoping Molten Man would ask. When the Molten Man shouts he's bluffing, Spidey replies, Think so? Just watch! Don't believe me? Just watch! Shout out to Bruno Mars! Shout out to Trinidad James! Moving with dazzling speed, the amazing Spider-Man does a sudden, breathtaking acrobatic flip over, and then... He and Molten Man are upside down, Spidey gripping his web lines. Molten Man realizing gravity still applies to Golden Gods. He thinks, Can't hold on! Falling! Have to let go! While Spidey, always ready to teach a person a thing or two about agility, best ever, shouts, Hope you're paying attention, Multi. You'll be the envy of the prison gym when you demonstrate this little stunt to your fellow inmates. Huh. Molten Man crashes into the floor as Spidey shouts for the man to hold, now, that pose, hold that pose. But Molten Mr. Man doesn't. In the final panel, all we can see is Spidey from behind, dodging a golden foot. Molten Man's body hidden behind our hero as Spidey screams. Boy, you'll try anything when you're desperate, huh? But a few wild kicks aren't gonna stop me now, you golden goon. Making me think about the fights my brothers and I would have as kids. Whenever one of us got knocked down, our feet were the last lines of defense. So I just imagine Molten Man laying on his back like a giant golden baby. Just throwing kicks whenever Spidey gets close enough to wallop him. So desperate are the Molten Man's kicks, his foot connects with a green sign holder with a loud cack, sending the display flying. But his random kick does help the Molten Man, for it causes Spidey to cover his face in order to shield himself from flying glass. The sign holder goes flying through the shop window. And in that brief interval, the metallic menace manages to gain the initiative again, albeit temporarily. Molten Man is back on his feet in the next panel and shouting for Spidey to get back. He hurls a whole counter at the webhead who leaps backwards easily to avoid it. Taking advantage of Spidey's momentary retreat, Molten Man attempts one of his own. He's thinking, just what I need, a chance to escape. That shattered window is sure to bring the police. I've got to vanish before they arrive. Without nabbing me, no one can prove I was involved in these attempted robberies. He leaps through the broken window of the jewelry shop in what I can only call you can say it, a gold rush. But Spidey's not letting the man get away that easily. He leaps across the room huh. and out of the window, huh. his head snapping in all directions in search of the molten man, who, metal made flesh be damned, still has two incredibly hot feet. Translation, he's gone. Spidey isn't deterred, leaping onto the sheer outer wall of the building. He oh. shouts, not while I know where he's sure to be heading. I'll just get there via the skyway. There's less traffic up here. And begins scaling the building towards its roof. And... As for the Molten Man. Molten Man has been booking it through back alleys and has just reached the door to his apartment building. He shouts that he's safe now, 
that he didn't see Spider-Man following him, so he's got time now to figure out a way to strike back at the webhead when he least expects it. But 15 opens to our panel, panel of oh. the week. A gorgeous long horizontal where Molten Man's head, shoulders, and arms are staged right. He's got both hands up and a look of shock on his face. Why? Because Spidey is waiting in the man's foyer, cloaked in shadow, both hands gripping thin strands of webbing, both his feet off the floor like he's doing tricep dips on his web strands. In response to Molten Man saying he's got to find a way to beat Spidey, Spidey says, You better figure fast, chum, because I don't intend to hang around here waiting for you much longer. He asks where did he and Molten Man leave off? Like, where were we? And Molten Man, leaping across the room, reminds him by punching Spidey square in the jaw with a left, shouting they left off right here. With him, the Golden God, making sure Spider-Man never interferes in his plans again. Spidey thinks, Ah, I deserve this for being so careless. I never expected him to attack so fast. As he releases his grip on the web line he's holding with his left hand. But Molten Man has dived headfirst into his Birkin. He connects with another left in the exact same spot. Hitting our hero so hard, Spidey releases his grip on the right web line and falls headfirst towards the floor. Molten Man, talking his smack, says once he's beaten Spidey, nobody will be able to stop him. But Spidey, his jaw's not made of glass, so he's gonna quip through the bruising. He replies, Don't kid yourself, there's always Irving Formblish. Irving Forbush is a Marvel character created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, who first appeared in Snafu Number 1 in November of 1955, and as Forbush Man and Not Brand Eck, Number 1 in August of 1967. Hailing from the Marble Universe, the Marble Universe, Forbush began as a parody of a low-level office gopher in Snafu and rose to the ranks of hero in Not Brand Eck, Number 1, when his aunt smashed the pot over his head, beginning his career as a superhero. Wait, what? It's comic books. Let it go and come on. Back to, in the final panel, Molten Man follows his downward left with an uppercut right that lifts Spidey off the floor. He asks Spidey who Forbush is and Spidey breaking the fourth wall for all of us replies, forget it, it's an in-joke. So of course, that's a shout out to us. On 16, Spidey bounces back, literally. Left hand press palm flat against the floor, Using his momentum in the drizzy maneuver, he lands a blow on Molten Man's neck, shouting the whole time. Okay, time's up. If you want to use me for a punching bag any longer, you'll have to pay union rates. With Molten Man reeling, we see Spidey wasn't just sitting in the shadows waiting for Multi to come home. No, Spidey was working. He races over to a chair in the corner and grabs two thick ropes made of webbing, shouting that he had them made especially for the Molten Man, that he didn't want to be unprepared in case it was the villain's birthday. We get a great panel of Spidey holding up the slipknot of the rope, his right eye large and buggy through the loop as he says, In case you're wondering, it's the better to tie you up with, Red Riding Hood. It'll be easier than skinning my knuckles all day on your thick head. Multiman shouts that he's not going to be as easy to trap as he was last time, referring of course to ASM number 28, The Menace of the Molten Man, or Do You Know the Molten Man? Here on Me and My Friend Pete where he was hogtied by the Forest Hills Wrangler, the Amazing Spider-Man. Molten Man goes on to say, I'm a lot smarter and stronger and tougher than I used to be. Spidey spinning the Honda near his own head replies, Sure, and you probably have 23% fewer cavities too. So what? I don't care what you're using in your teeth. I don't care what statements you're making, what proclamations. I'm the Amazing Spider-Man, and you're just another W. I bet that's what Spidey's thinking. 
Multiman throws a right straight punch that Spidey wraps up in the Honda of his makeshift lasso easily with his left hand, shouting that the little punch is going to be Multiman's last mistake. But Multiman's not done. Just because he's got one lassoed arm, he replies, as he often does, that all he needs to do is land one more punch and Spidey will be done for, before throwing his patented squat dance kick with his left foot into Spidey's right ankle. And I don't know if it's intentional, but in the early days, these villains really did each seem to have their own style of fighting. We see Doc Ock never using his actual hands, the Scorpion constantly using a high-low combo with his tail and his vicious right hand, and the Molten Man consistently throwing kicks from the Russian squat dance position. I love to see it. Back to Molten Man. Still plenty of fight left in him, shouts. Now just stay where you are, Webhead. This is the payoff. But Molten Man talked all that smack for nothing because Spidey gets surgical to open 17. Still gripping Molten Man's right hand with the rope in his left, Spidey wraps the second Honda over Multi's left hand, saying the Golden God is right, that this will be a payoff, especially since both the walking Oscar's hands are now bound. Molten Man shouts, Bah! What does that mean? Shout out to Weeds! Before grabbing both ropes by the lines and in a pose like he's doing a lap pull, threatens to send Spidey on a ride he'll never forget. And we get a truly great panel of Molten Man trying to do exactly that. He throws both arms over his head, pulling Spidey behind him and off his feet. But Spidey, agility on best ever, knew the Molten Man would try this and already has a counter attack. I expected that, Hamhead, but I've got news for you. You're going too, so long as I hold on to your little golden foots in here. Spidey's grabbed this man by the foot on his way up, still gripping both web ropes with his left hand. This is Aerial Twister. And while Airborne flips Molten Man into the air and wraps the man's left foot up, shouting, And now, for the coup de grace. Translation, a final blow or shot given to kill a wounded person or animal. He goes on to say, When you get to the prison library, you can borrow a dictionary and look that up, little man. I imagine all of this is happening in the span of five seconds in the air. The two tumble to the floor in the gutter between panels, and in the final panel, Spidey's got Molten Man on his knees, his hands behind his back. Multi, staring up at our hero from over his shoulder, shouts, All right, so you got me hogtied. So what? You can't prove I was involved in any robberies. It'll just be your word against mine. I'll be as free as the breeze later on. Free to pay you back for this in spades. Spidey, who is the cucumber, replies, Boing, are you about to learn the facts of life? Shout out to Tootie. Translation, this fight is over. Minutes later, a scene which occurred a few months ago is repeated anew to the extreme discomfiture of a man named Raxton. This scene is a bit different than the last time Spidey and Molten Man scrapped, however. This time, Spidey's left Molten Man dangling on the sheer wall of a building with the sign of the spider beside him, while three police officers, that's Bobby Blackman, that's Bowtie Charlie, and that's Ike, to be sure, look on. Molten Man shouts for the police to get him down. Get me out of here! You've nothing on me! I love his proper grammar. Come on, he's not king, but he's still so proper. Bobby says this is beginning to become a habit, while Ike reads a note left by their friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. According to this note from Spider-Man, if we hold you for a little while, he'll bring us proof that you were involved in some robbery attempts. Well, I guess we can stand your company for a while, if you put up with ours. Get him down from there. We'll hold him on suspicion of robbery for as long as we can. Man said they're gonna hold him on suspicion of robbery. 
This is, of course, a trumped-up charge that I'm sure Raxton could beat easily if he had a halfway decent lawyer. But something tells me the man hasn't planned for the day he's captured and spent all his money on those golden boots and golden underwear and golden belt and first-class top-notch mask and gloves for his hands. He's going down. He wasted all his money on the wrong things. All those months spent bending steel and none spent bending the ear of a good attorney? How sad. Hold it now. Even though the action's over, we want you to stick around for the wrap-up. It won't take long. We're on the scene in the next panel. The scene? The police station where Spidey's just swung up to the sheer wall of the building. I imagine all smiles beneath his mask. For once, everything worked out perfectly. I had my camera all set up and snapped everything I need. Wow! I can hear Raxton bellowing to beat the band from way out here. And Spidey's right. Inside of the police station, Molten Man has gone full-on white male privilege. <clears throat> white golden male. <clears throat> white golden god privilege. <clears throat> okay, golden god privilege. And he is tirading more than the miserable magnate when accosted by parking meter police. You can't do this to me. I know my rights. You can't keep me here. I didn't do anything. I'm as innocent as a newborn babe. If you know, you know. And the desk sergeant is a bit of a jerk. He says they're glad to hear it and asks Raxton if the man wants them to get him some formula. Whipping! He says Raxton surely got the power to leave, but if the man does, he may just wind up hogtied by Spidey again, so it's best for him to stay put. Bobby, standing behind the sergeant with his arm propped up on the corner there, coach him, Sarge. Spidey, peering into the room from outside of the window, asks if someone mentioned his name because his ears are burning before flinging a manila envelope into the room at Ike. These pictures should give you all the evidence you need to hold the Molten Man until he tarnishes. That's an easy quip for the King of Flip. Ike's impressed. Spidey kept his word, but the Molten Man isn't. He grabs the envelope, shouting for the room to let him see what's inside. And in the final panel, his mouth agape, his eyes wide, his skin glistening, Molten Man is flummoxed. Shots of me changing disguise, breaking into the shop, everything. How? In his hands, we see Scoop Spider made sure to catch the Molten Man's bad side. In the picture we can make out, we've got the Molten Man pulling off his mask and jacket, racing forward, making me think young Scoop set his camera up on a nearby wall before engaging the Molten Man in battle. With evidence of the Molten Man exploits now in hand, Ike shouts to the lieutenant to bring his notebook, saying they've got a confession coming up. But enough of such sordid goings-on. Let us now change our scene it's a short time later as we visit the Daily Bugle with a pensive Peter Parker. So we're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown, Limestone Building. You can't miss it. Where young school Parker is on the scene in a white long sleeve polo, Steve Jobs blues, and brown loafers, walking through a busy Bugle bullpen. There are people on typewriters, people trading papers, people on the phone. I'm sure JJ would be a happy man if he could see his people working right now. He's got the rest of his photos of the Molten Man in an envelope in his right hand and a stoic expression on his face as he thinks, It should it be hard to sell my remaining photos of the Molten Man to Jolly Jolly Man. Funny, I'm sort of nervous about facing Betty. So of course, Pete has no idea that Betty has skipped town. He turns the corner and spots a woman in a full length red dress putting papers in a filing cabinet. And judging her strictly on her shape says, Hello, Betty. Is JJ in his off? What? You're not Betty. And he's right. This is none other than Veronica from last issue who took over for Betty when she disappeared to who knows where. Veronica replies that the Goldenrod Kid must be Peter Parker, the young photographer she's heard so much about. Pete's like, yeah, Goldenrod Kid, nice to meet me. 
But where's Betty? Is she on vacation? The woman walks over to her desk in the gutter between panels and pulls a purple picture frame from inside. Saying Betty asked her to give this to Peter Parker when she saw him, she hands the purple picture frame over to him. And Pete's in shock. His hand racing to his chin, completely taken aback. He asks, What? She's gone? Instead of a reply, Veronica gives Pete the purple frame and we can see now it's just a photo of Pete. Pete's giving Betty a photo of himself like he's Dr. Curtis Kildare Connors giving his wife a headshot of himself like he's a superstar. What is going on with these guys? I wonder if that was a thing that you did in the 60s. You give your best dame a giant photo that they can sit on their desk. Even though you're not officially dating, you're kind of talking. I don't know what's going on. Wild times, those 60s. Back to, he asked if there's anything else. I think Pete's expecting like a letter of goodbye, a letter of intent, something from Betty to tell him what's going on. Where did she run off to? But Veronica says she's afraid so that what she has, this photo, that's everything. She has nothing else. Pete asks if Ned Leeds left too. Veronica replies, I believe he did go to the West Coast. Actually, I'm still new here. I'm not sure of everybody's whereabouts. So then why even give that initial yes, Veronica? Why are you starting trouble? And you already know Pete goes neuroses right away in a close-up in the next panel. He's been wanting to marry her. And now they're both gone. It must mean that they, they, oh, what's wrong with me? What do I care? But care he does. In the final panel, trying to regain his cool, Pete, hand in pocket, hands the envelope over his shoulder to Veronica, saying he bought these photos for Jameson. When Veronica asks him if he's going to wait for his check, Pete says the man can just mail it to him. He is in his feelings hard. Blue-eyed Peter Parker, you know he's on the scene. Double-timing it towards the door to open 20, Pete only stops when Veronica shouts to him that he left his picture. He takes the frame from her and stares at it before closing his eyes, going full-on emo. To Betty, forever. Peter, forever. I wonder when I wrote that. Must have been a lifetime ago. Before tossing the whole frame into a nearby trash bin. The final panel of the story, we're behind Pete who walks into a blue background with silhouettes of Betty's head all around him. On the floor at his feet, it says, The End. And in the final panel, in a goldenrod negative space, we get giant words in red, Next-ish. And standing next to them, a new villain in a white and purple costume. His eye holes are narrow slits with black lines running north from the middle of the slits. His mask is white except for the area where his mouth would be, which is a royal purple that extends down and around his neck in what looks to be a bouffant. Is that the word, bouffant? Who knows? He's got on a white shirt with purple sleeves, white villain underwear with purple and white striped pants that blend into white boots, and a pair of hot pink gloves on. I think he borrowed them from the Green Goblin. And to his right, in black lettering, we have a swinging supervillain so different, so new, we can't even tell you his name yet. Let's meet him together in Spider-Man number 36. Nuff said. And we're out. First things first, they had the nerve to say Artie Samek was loitering in this one, when in reality, Artie was working. Throw my man an apology. All the sound effects were beautifully drawn. They were beautiful to look at. He was going in. I often forget that the person who was responsible for writing out all of the dialogue balloons back then a lot of the time also wrote the sound effects onto the page. So it's a beautiful thing to look at when you have these sound effects drawn and fitting perfectly with the art that's 
on the page, that is not easy to do. That just speaks to the synergy of these like early artists, I think, these artists and these writers. They were so in sync. They wrote these beautiful, hilarious stories, but at the same time, also very engaging and very beautiful to look at stories, especially where the action is concerned. So shout outs to that dream team again. Shout out to the legends. I love the Molten Man story. I love the idea that the man went into the lab for months and months to get better at controlling himself and his abilities and came up with absolutely no new strategies in dealing with the webhead. He threw all the same punches, even still through his patented low squat kick and wound up in the exact same situation. I also really enjoyed the sequence where Spidey and Multi were going punch for punch, reminding me of the Rocky movie franchise, as I mentioned. No defense at all, ever. Just, I'm gonna punch you really hard in the face, you're gonna punch me back, and the strongest man wins, okay? Break. This issue didn't give too much of a glimpse into Peter Parker's personal life, but the next issue surely will, as Pete's hot and cold relationship with Gwen Stacy both heats up and freezes over. How? Who knows? And if you think Spidey spent too much time over the last few issues battling on the ground, Greg, you're gonna love next issue as Spidey takes to the skies and takes on a brand new villain, the Looter. In ASM number 36, where falls the meteor? That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode, but there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you support this show on patreon.com slash HSPP, patrons get a bonus show every time we drop a new episode here where I run through comic books from all over the multiverse of comics, past and present, from Marvel to DC to all points in between. This week, we're back in Marvel's House of Ideas as we get our first bonus episode spotlighting the people of Adeline, the Inhumans, in the beginning of the woefully underrated tale, Silent War, with Act 1, The Warrior. Question. What would you do if the most sacred possession of your people were stolen by a hostile foreign government who refused to return it? Well, if you're Black Agar Boltagon and company, you declare war on said country and anyone standing in your way, including four people deemed fantastic. If we've got comics, we've got history, and I'll be your guide through it all. Join us. As said in the beginning, this podcast is completely listener-supported, and your support keeps this crazy train on the tracks. I'm truly grateful you keep coming back and more grateful you allow me to be the conductor. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, a special thanks to the home team. Parker's Dirty Dozen. Sign up now. Vote on bonus episodes. Make it a Baker's. If you sign up before ASM number 50, you'll receive a special thank you lapel pin for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You won't regret it. You got questions? Send them to me in my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MNMFP underscore podcast. The panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. All that said, that's all that said. That dusty trails are calling, so there's no use stalling. Looks like the beginning of the end. Please like, please comment. Please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. And remember, with great power, make sure you're being responsible. I'm out of here.